0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for that golf clap. Thank you. Thank you for that golf clap. You know, for the greatest speaker in the country. What did he say? The, the, you know, I mean. <laughs> oh, if ever pastors were prone to exaggeration, there you go, right there. Well, my name is Brent, and I'm I'm honored to be a part of this incredible week in which this incredible church. Uh, places a strategic emphasis on those they partner with to reach the nations. I had the opportunity on Wednesday night to be with the students. We were, in, we were in some other room doing you know, something. It was loud and it was fun and it was awesome. But we had, at the end of the night, we tried to go, okay, how do we shrink the mission of God, this really big thing, down to a person. And, and we had uh, the, uh, every student that wanted to write a name of somebody and, and, and that needed Jesus. And literally at the end of the night, we were the, the altars were full with those pieces of paper in their hand and they were literally praying over those names that God would redeem their friends. Uh, And and, and to get a snapshot of what God wants for God's world is to bring it down to that one person. Um, And so I'm so grateful for this week. This this week is not a week set aside to focus on missions, and then we'll go to another subject next week. The mission of God is something that that is at the very heart of what the local church is. Like what God wants for God's world is what we're supposed to be all about. And so this is a week, just like we got, you know, we, we, we like to sing about Jesus being born and living and dying on the cross for our sins, and, and we do, but we love Christmas and we love Easter, but every day is not Christmas and every day is not Easter, and so we have a missions week. It's just a week set aside to highlight some partnerships, and in one sense, this, this week is a microcosm of the big picture of what First Baptist Church Naples is all about, because if a church is not all about the mission of God, it's not doing church. Maybe two people agreed. Right? I mean, if, if this is what matters most to God, it should matter most to us. Right? I mean, you know. So I, I, this, is, this is a microcosm, right? This is a snapshot of what's going on all year long and what we should care about. God's mission precedes everything. Like before, I'm a Bible guy. I love to preach the Bible. I think if we don't open our Bibles in church, we didn't have church either. That's kind of where I'm at. But before you even open your Bible, the fact that you have a Bible says something about the character of God. God wants to reveal himself. God is all about his mission. And so it is an invitation unto us. So I'm honored to stand behind the sacred desk this morning and to preach on this particular Sunday. Uh, I I, I love your pastor. I I mean, I don't know him that well, so maybe he's not a great guy, but what I've seen, he seems like a great guy. We had dinner this past week on Wednesday evening. I know of your pastor very well because uh, our family lived in the heart of Orlando and then we decided to move out to the country. Let me say that a different way. My wife saw a cow on Pinterest and thought it would be a good idea for us to move to the country and start a farm. And so I'm her intern. That's basically what I am all day, every day. When it comes to farm life and the cows and the ducks and the chickens and the donkeys and all the rest. And, um, and so when we move out to, the, I mean, you know, I, 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 was, I felt like I should have had a booth that I'm in the foreign mission field out in the lobby because of how far out in the country we are. They speak an entirely different language out there, by the way, if you didn't know. And, uh, it, uh, you know, we, we had to find a new church to go to because now we're an hour and 20 minutes from our old church. And so, uh, now don't get me wrong, you know, the the Baptists and the Catholics, and I probably have some Catholics in the room, there's, there's, Baptists and Catholics do guilt better than anybody. I mean, we we got the corner market on. So that Baptist guilt had me go back to our old church for about six or seven months, till my pastor looked at me and went, what the heck are you doing, man? Like, you can't do life with people from an hour and a half away. Go find a church over there. I'm like, you don't want my money? Is that what you're saying? You don't want my money, you know? He goes, go find a church over there. And uh, so we, we visited on our very first Sunday the church that we would end up joining. And it was a church called Central Church. We had heard of a pastor there named Pastor Allen um, and that he did a great job. And, and, and so our very first Sunday, we showed up and it was his very first Sunday here. <laughs> he was, <laughs> you, you guys had taken him. You know, you poached him, you stole him in the name of Jesus, right? And so, so anyways, no, but we, we love, we love now he did leave a mess behind. I, I have to warn you, right? He <laughs> left a mess behind, not a leadership mess. No, no crises in any ethical way, but I mean, there's blue stuff everywhere. I mean, it's just <laughs> like, it was, it was like he had all the little kids ministry in a cult. They had foam fingers with Kentucky on it. And, you know, and <laughs> it's been, a we've had to, do, you know, we're trying to, De- get the do- undoctrinate them or whatever it's called redoctrinate them back. Cause they, boy, every that's everything Kentucky. So I'm kidding, um, sort of. And so, um, <laughs> well, good morning. I, I'm uh, so grateful to be in this building with you and I know it looks uh, it's, it's, it's cloudy outside, but can we not agree that even on a cloudy day, the sun still came up and the mercies of God are new. And in light of the mercies of God, we have no other choice but to rejoice and to be glad in this day. God has kissed this day with his presence. And we get to gather as the saints of God, focusing on the mission of God and looking at an aspect of that this morning. You know, one of the things your pastor, in all seriousness, said is, I want to make sure that on Sunday morning we, we emphasize that we care deeply about reaching the next generation. Now, what does that mean? You know, I I did some of my degree work in the social sciences, so I value, uh, uh, this is the only nerdy thing I'll say this morning, I value statistical analysis, both quantitative and qualitative studies and statistical analysis and all the rest that goes with that. And if it's immediately your eyes glaze over when you hear that, so did mine sitting in those classes, right? But I love the, the research, what it teaches us. But it can only take us so far. And so uh, Sunday morning is not a place to do a deep dive into the social sciences and what social scientists have taught us about the different characteristics of different generations. But when we say next generation, it's become a buzzword, a phrase, or whatever. But when we say next generation, we're specifically meaning... Two generations, actually, because we're in this place where we have some leftover Gen Zers who are hanging out and they're not quite through uh, uh, going into college, coming out of college, maybe late high school for some of them. And then we've got this new generation on the on their heels called Gen Alpha. So it's kind of that weird time in which you're actually, when you say next gen, you're actually talking about two specific generations. And if the easiest way to think about uh, Gen Z is, is to think uh, about of Toy Story, right? The very first Toy Story movie came out in 1995, the very first computer animated film, um, and that is kind of designated as the first year of Gen Z. And so Gen Z is, we're talking about that birth rate of 20, uh, excuse me, of, of 1995 through, depending on what social scientist you read, 09 or 10 or 11 or some say 08, but somewhere in that range, there's always a margin of error. And then what comes after that is Gen Alpha. And so we have a lot of Gen Alpha now coming into student ministry, a lot of Gen Z kind of exiting student ministry into college ministry, and many already into the workforce. So these are the next generation, okay? That's all the nerd stuff. We're done with all the research, all right? But here you go. Everybody always says this statement, and I don't want, and and don't amen this, please, if you don't mind. Everybody goes, you know who's going to reach the next generation? Who wants them the most? I don't agree with that. I think it sounds good. I think you can get an amen every once in a while if you say it the right way. You know who's gonna win the next generation? Those who are unhypocritical in their faith. Those who preach a whole gospel. Those who don't paint a picture of Christianity where everything makes sense and everything works out and everything, it, like one sermon and we can solve a problem and it can be have a nice little bow on the end of every message and boy, isn't this nice to be a Christian. What I'm finding with this generation and all the research supports this, three characteristics that are important for us understanding as we dive into a text this morning, is that they are slow to commit because they want to make long-term commitments. They're fiscally responsible. Much more responsible than the millennials, much more responsible than Gen X, which is my generation, which was when we used to have good music, but much more responsible than Gen X. And, and they rival the boomers in their fiscal responsibility. Now, they're as socially liberal as the day is long, but when it comes to money, they're doing a lot better job than most. And then number three, they really want to commit themselves deeply to something. You know, the, the millennials, right before Gen Z, we had the millennials. The millennials wanted 10 jobs on their resume by the time they were 30. They thought that was that was, that was to be well-experienced. And then along comes the Gen Zers, and they're like, you guys are crazy. That's, that's the silliest thing I've heard. Don't have 10 jobs. Commit yourself to one thing and go deep. Create culture. Give yourself away to something. And so we're finding these characteristics rise to the surface over and over again with these both Gen Z and Gen Alpha that we're studying now. And and, and so the question then becomes, okay, as a a church, as a body of Christ, how how are we to value that? What should we do? And and let let me just go ahead and say at the front end of our time together, it doesn't take some super creative strategy where the music needs to get louder and the building needs to be redone 20 different ways and you have to have just the right coffee and you have to have just the right marketing and you have to have just the right color schemes and all of that other silliness. You know what, what this generation wants? They want something raw. They want something real. They want something gritty. Because they're comfortable unlike us. I'm talking about us. I'm not going to say older because I would never say that of myself. I might say that of some people in this room, but not of me. You know, like Pastor Kevin's older. I'm not. I'm still catching up. And so, like, there's, but there's some of us that have been living a little while. There's some of us who have college, tenu- teenagers in college and, and, and we've got kids that are starting to adult on their own and, and, and we've, we've been around the block a few times and we're really comfortable with categories. And thank God there's a generation that's waking up and goes, the labels don't work anymore. It doesn't matter how comfortable you are with it, they don't work. Because we live in a time of redefining words I mean, we change the definitions of words like we change our socks. I'm a conservative, and what that means is. That's how everybody talks now. I'm a liberal, and that's what this means is. And by the way, what's conservative now wasn't conservative five years ago. What's liberal now wasn't liberal five years ago. In fact, some things that are conservative now were liberal five years ago, and some things that are liberal now was conservative. I mean, it's just, it's just it's a mess. It's a mess, and I'm not going to get political this morning because that's how you get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but I will tell you something that, that, that grains against them, like, like nails on a chalkboard to most Gen Z and Gen Alpha is the phrase identity politics. Because those who have given their life to Jesus goes, only one gets my identity and they're comfortable with the tension of not neatly fitting into every pre-designed category. And can we go so far this morning as to say, that's probably a more healthy biblical paradigm anyways. We're strangers in this world, are we not? I mean, we're, 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 the psalmist said, happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. We are pilgrims making our way home to the heaven country. That's who we are. Paul said in Philippians 2, to shine like stars in the world. There are no stars in the world. There are no stars. You know what Paul is saying? You are a foreign element in this world who is supposed to radiate and illuminate. I wonder what he was talking about. So there's, there's something about this tension that makes sense to a generation who is going, the words, the labels, the categories, they don't fit anymore. It doesn't mean that they're getting soft on their ideas or their convictions. They're just simply saying that if I am holistically given over to the grace of Jesus, like by grace through, by grace, through faith we are saved, if, if, if my response to God's grace, is an exhaustive response of my life, then all of me is on this journey, which means I just don't fit in this world anywhere nicely and neatly. In other words, they're looking around at some of us, and I put myself in this category because I struggle with this. They're looking around at some of us and going, y'all have gotten a little too comfortable. This feels a little bit too much like home for some of us. You know what they have an appetite for? I say this from both a, an objective statement in looking at the research and a subjective statement from over 20 years of preaching to students, but here it is. They're looking for a message, a portrait of what Christianity is that doesn't try to, that doesn't try to block out all of the hard things and difficult statements and controversial statements They're looking for a portrait of Christianity that goes, we want the grittiness of God and all. That's hard for us, isn't it? We're going to look at one of those texts this morning. If you have a copy of God's word, I invite you to join me in the book of Luke, chapter 12. If I haven't lost you yet, (laughs) the book of Luke, chapter 12, verse 49. The book of Luke, chapter 12, and verse 49. We're going to read one of the more controversial or difficult statements to hear come out of the words of our Savior's mouth. I'll begin with just the first statement when he said, I came to bring fire on the earth. Wow. That we don't read on Christmas or Easter. <laughs> I came to bring, I mean, that's, there's a picture of Jesus that we have that, 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 that this doesn't fit with statements like this that we're reading now. I'm going to continue reading in just a moment. Like there's a picture of Jesus where it's like he's he's this meek and this mild guy who's who was always like straight on with the curling iron and his hair and and his beard was always spot on and his robe was never dirty and he just kind of floated through life. We, we we that's the I mean I know what Jesus looked like. I do I do because my grandmother had a picture of him in her house. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I saw him and there he was. Thank God he stopped by the mile to get the portraits done, or else she wouldn't have had that. But but that like and we have this image of Jesus where he's just this and and there Jesus was a very gritty. I mean he was all man and he was all God, but he was very gritty. And every once in a while, I love it when people go, well, there was that one time that he lost his temper and he flipped over the tables in the temple. And that's what we what we failed to go before he did that. Does anybody remember what he did before that? He sat outside the temple and what did he do? He built a weapon. A weapon. Do you have a version of Jesus in your head where he's he's locked, cocked, and ready to rock? (laughs) Jesus built a weapon. Not to scare people, but to hurt people if he needed to. And walked into the temple and turned over the table. You see, the image, the portrait of the gritty side of God and the good work of God in Christ Jesus is is there in plain sight for us to see. And there is a generation that has an appetite to both see it, struggle with it, and digest it. But here's the problem, and I don't mean this in a crude way. I'm I'm talking about Brett now, I'm talking about me. This has been my problem at times. I want the Prince of Peace, and that's it. But there can be no Prince of Peace if there is not first a warrior king who fights against evil to set his people free. And so this is what we're gonna see. Let us continue to read. So he goes, I I came to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already set ablaze, but I have to undergo, I have a baptism, excuse me, to undergo and how it consumes me until these next three little words are arguably the most important in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, in this text, these next three words are arguably the most important because it, 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 this phrase, it is finished, gives definition to the word fire and the word baptism, and the word division, actually, which we'll read in just a moment. So, so fire is judgment. Jesus had just been teaching on, prior to what we're reading now, had just been teaching on the second coming that he's gonna return again. So he's going, that judgment, that judgment in which, which people are judged and, and, it's, it's, and, and, and I take people home and it's like, I want that. I want that moment in which people are redeemed. I want to get there. But, but he goes, we can't get there. I, I want to get them to heaven. I want to get to that place where all things are made new because after that final judgment, all things are made new again. There's a new heavens and a new earth, right? I want to get Jesus. That's what he's talking about. But you and I know this, don't we, this morning? There can be no restoration if there is not first redemption. Which is why he goes, but I got to go through this baptism first. Literally, it's an immersion. The word baptism means to submerge or to immerse. He's talking about the cross. He attaches the words, it is finished. Exact same thing he would say at the, at the end of his time on the cross. He said, it is he's attaching that to the word baptism. And it's for the, I'll be safe for the little ears in the room, but he's talking about the fact that his entire body is going to be covered in blood. Like He's got to go through that before he can get to the restoration part. And so we see that, that, that fire is judgment and, 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 and baptism is the cross and, and how it consumes me until it is finished, he writes. But then he writes this. He, he's going to kind of switch gears on us. And he says, do you think that I came here to bring peace on earth? Most people, if they were just stopped on the street and asked that question, it would be like, yes, we sing songs about it. No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. What Jesus is doing here is he's trying to paint a picture for us that this big idea in front of a big crowd on a mountainside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, right? Like thousands of people, this, like all of this that we're talking about is going to get really personal. Like this message is not going to just be a message for the crowd. This is a message that's going to directly impact your home, your family, there is no place that this message does not have an impact on your life, Jesus is telling us. Which is why he gets as personal as a human being could possibly get when understanding the family dynamic. He goes, there will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He's not saying that, oh, they're the enemy, we never talk to them, we don't be good family members. No, what he's saying is, that if I divide you, I am separating a people out to the gospel of God and there are some people who have not believed. That's all he's saying. He's saying you don't go divorce your family. We are still to be light and salt and light, excuse me, to our family. We are still to be a witness to our family, but he's just saying there's a very stark reality. The gospel plays for keeps. Some people are separated to the gospel of God. Some people choose not to believe. Boy, this is a gritty, gritty statement from Jesus. I mean, he only uses violent words in this text. I want you to see a few things. I want to give a few kind of just little statements help us wrap our mind around this text. And I want to show you what this looks like. But first of all, I want us to see that, that this fire, or there's a fire that brings or gives salvation or transformation. There's fire that, that brings salvation. And if you're taking notes, listen very closely. If you want to try um, these aren't going to be on the screen, but very quickly. There are three kinds of judgment that happen before the final judgment. And all, when, when Jesus talks about judgment or fire, it's a very all-encompassing term. It's broad. It's not specific. He's talking all, all kinds of judgment. So there are three kinds of judgment before we get to the final judgment when god will go okay and the final judgment is a really good friend of mine says it this way there's a day on god's calendar when he's going to blow the whistle and call all the kids out the pool right and say let's go home and so there's a real day in which god will make all things new again that's a real day in future history on god's calendar and so and so there's but there are three kinds of judgment before that judgment okay Number one, there's a judgment that Jesus endured on the cross, which is why Jesus would cry out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I love the way the prophet Isaiah would write it. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. There was literally a judgment that was placed on Jesus that I should have experienced. So there's a judgment that Jesus endured for me on my behalf so that he could be the ultimate and only perfect sacrifice. Maybe a very simplistic way of saying it and I heard uh, years ago, Dr. Charles Stanley explained it to me. Explained it this way, and it's always stuck with me. He goes, the Old Testament sacrificial system was kind of like a credit card. It could never fully cover the sins of mankind, but it was like credit. God was giving them credit for this animal sacrifice, but it it never could pay a debt. It never could. It was just a substitute, and it was a, a temporary substitute. It was not a permanent substitute. It was a credit card system in one sense. And when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, there would never need to be another sacrifice ever, 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 ever again. Amen. And amen. There would never need to be another sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus paid the debt in full. He is the only sacrifice that could. That's the judgment. The first kind of judgment. The second kind of judgment is a judgment that we can escape because of the judgment that he endured. Boy, that's grace. Can we just say this for a second? were it not for the the grace of God, were it not even for the patience of God, every one of us in this room would be going to hell. And so there's this judgment that we get to escape. Paul would write, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? Paul would also write that he who knew no sin became sin for us, so that what would happen to us? What would happen? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him so there is a judgment that we can escape because of the judgment that he endured. But sadly, there's a third kind of judgment. There's a judgment that cannot be escaped. Jesus would say, anyone who believes, anyone who believes is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. It is sad to say this, but it must be said for the portrait to be complete. There will be people who do not believe. And there are people right now that we know who are unbelieving. You know what this generation wants? They don't want you to they don't want you to go, okay, well, it's okay. We'll set a service aside and pray for them. And then, you know what this generation wants? They want people who are willing to go to war on their knees. Some of you have done this for your kids. And to beg God for the soul of that person until their, their heart is turned towards God. There are people who will go to hell because they do not believe. It is a judgment that cannot be escaped. And I'm telling you here, ladies and gentlemen, hear me on this. Listen to me. This should not be your supreme source of motivation. It's not the central motivation of your life, but it should be a source of motivation. That there are some consequences to not believing in Jesus, and those consequences last forever. And so there's, there's a fire that, that brings transformation or gives. Transformation. And then number two, we see that there's a transformation that brings division. We don't like to talk about this. We don't like to talk about division. We don't like to talk about God dividing us, but there's, a, there's a tra- this transformation, this thing that happens because of the fire and because of the baptism. This, this, this affords us the ability to be transformed, to be made new, to become saved creatures, to become redeemed beings, and that in and of itself brings about division. Let me say it this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us. Now, the word all is probably the most important part in that verse. All of us have wandered away from God. To borrow a phrase from C.S. Lewis, at one point or another, all of us had a complete anti-God state of mind. There's not a one of us in this room that at one point in our history, we weren't enemies with God. We weren't divided from God. We weren't running from God. And the, and, the, and the grace of God at work. Do you see, We see this this morning, right? Hopefully, we've not gotten over this, right? Is that Jesus comes running into the wilderness after us. God help the soul that forgets that grace came after them. It is a miserable being indeed that is no longer soft hearted because of the grace of God. So, grace comes after us and redeems us and, and brings us home. Well, what happens? Like, what hap- well, obviously, Jesus is just being Captain obvious for a moment here. When you are redeemed, when you are set apart to the gospel of God, you are separated from those who aren't. You are no longer wandering away from God the way they are wandering away from God because you are redeemed and transformed. Now you are wandering with God towards the heaven country. That's the division he's talking about. It's a very real division that will happen. And by the way, this is the only kind of division that should concern us. I'm not worried about... We live in such an age of polarization, guys. We live in such an age where everybody divides everything based on their latest opinion. And it's a little nauseating, to be honest with you. And I know that we should have convictions about where to vote and who to vote for. And I have very, I'm a conservative, I have deep convictions, but can I tell you, I'm not worried about those divisions. Those divisions don't keep me up at night. And I have six kids and I'm not going, well, man, I tell you, if we don't get the right politician in office, I don't know what the future is going to be like for my children. Dear God, I hope I'm not worried about those divisions. And I don't think I've been called to worry. I don't find one place in Scripture where I'm called to worry. I am called to be concerned about those who are wandering away from God. And here's what I believe. I believe with all of my heart that the hope for any culture, not politically, just in general, that the hope for any culture, and our culture is a culture who has gone astray, is that more and more people would be redeemed. Not more and more people get elected. But more and more people would be redeemed. Not more and more organizations would be started. Let's go raise some money for this problem, that problem, that. All that's good. Elections are good. God uses all of that. that, And it all falls under the category of common grace. We're studying sometime. Great idea. Awesome stuff. I've even written on it. I love the subject. But the great hope we have is that he would go into the wilderness and he'd get one more. The great hope that we'd have is that one more would be redeemed. And they would shine like a star in this world, wandering well towards the heaven country. And that they would go share with somebody, and God would get one more. And that the great story that we sing would be great things he has done. Great is his faithfulness. Because once, they, once that happens, look at me, look at me, look at me. Once that happens, nobody, you may have gone in the wilderness with God, but you can't take credit for bringing somebody out of the wilderness. Great things he has done. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Matthew uh, text, it, 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 on the salt and the light stuff, right? And it talks about light, and, and and he says that they would. Jesus said that he hopes that everybody would see your good works. And then he says it this way, and would glorify your Father in heaven, great things he has done. So there is division. It's real. And there's a division that should burden us. And my fear is, in my own life, I know this is true. I can go down so many rabbit trails of divisions that should not burden me. And not give affection and time to the ones that should. And that's something I have to repent of from time to time. There's a division. That I mean, this transformation excuse me, brings about a division. It's unavoidable. What are we to make of all this fire and baptism and division? <laughs> it is finished. Jesus is talking about what can be accomplished on the cross. He uses the same, I mean, he's going to repeat himself when he's hanging on the cross, this statement, it is finished. Do you know? Church, listen, every redeemed soul in this room, do you know that every day we all said amen to the mercies of God? Do you know that every day that the mercies of God are new and you are redeemed, Jesus is speaking over your life, it is finished, the debt is paid. There's not a moment in your life where the father goes, looks down and goes, oh, no, I don't see him wrapped up in the finished work of Jesus. That doesn't happen. There's not a moment that that happens. Do you know this, this, this message, this, this, it almost could be a song. It's sung over you every day. It is finished. You are loved. You are safe. Not safe in like nothing bad will ever happen. I'm talking about safe in the arms of Jesus. And he will never let you go. At the beginning of the pandemic, and I don't fully understand the pandemic. I'm not one of those people that thinks, "Oh, I should have an opinion because I did not go to medical school." Um, so I don't, I don't have heavy opinions. I don't. I think that, you know, all I know is that it, I don't think it. I don't think it was made up. I don't think it was as bad as everybody thinks. I know somebody sneezed and the whole world changed. That's what I know. Okay. And I know that was real. I lost a very good friend through it, and, and I, you know, have had to walk alongside my. My friend's widow and her children and, you know, so there's something going on there. But you remember that season. Obviously, we all do. And the whole world stopped. And I thought that we, we thought in our house, man, the whole, you know, for me and what I do for a living. And, and like you, can, we, we, we put on, there's over 45 events every year that I'm responsible for. And then there's another hundred on top of that that I'm speaking at so it's like, well, everything about what we do is about to get shut down, and it did. Hotels weren't going, yeah, we'll sign that contract and let you bring 1,000 people run around our hotel. That wasn't happening anymore. And the world stopped. This is not about whether the world should have stopped or not. Don't miss it. The only time, I've, I, I'm 45 years old, and since I was 20 years old, every summer of my life, you work every day. Because I'm in youth ministry. And so there's not a day in the summer, typically, where I'm not on. And that's life. I love what I get to do for a living. I would never get a summer off. I'll never get a summer off the rest of my life. I don't want a summer off. And in 2020, God gave me a summer off. (laughs) You go, did God give you that? That was COVID. No, hold on, hold on. God gave us margin to see something different. And right as I just had to make some very tough decisions with our board members and, and, and different things about what the next year would look like, or at least the next six to eight months, we, uh, we got an email. I'll never forget. It was in May of 2020. And the email was from a very good friend of ours named Stephanie. She's a lawyer in child advocacy. And she knows that we've cared deeply for a long time about um, kids in the system, whether it's foster kids or kids that we don't like to use the word orphan anymore in this country, but for lack of better terms, orphaned kids, kids that are in group homes and need, need forever families. And so she sent me an email and she sent it to me and to my wife. She's friends with both of us. And, and, and actually my wife grew up with her. And so we've, we, I've known her a while. My wife's known her her whole life. And she sent an email and the email started like this. I know you're past this phase of life. And then she continued to explain to us how there are, she has a sibling group of three kids that are right, like they're gonna get in the system really quick if something doesn't happen. She's trying to get the word out to as many people as possible. She goes, I know you're past this phase of life, but could you send this information on to as many people as possible? Now, I mean, you know, I I read that and my wife read that and my wife immediately went, there's three babies that need a home. You know, I read that and I went past that phase of life. <laughs> Stephanie, who you think you are? You gonna be in this phase of life in about five minutes? <laughs> past that phase of life. Goodness gracious! Made me want to take my son out back and show him who's boss. Past that phase of life, like do something. I don't know, chop some firewood or go for a race or something. Every once in a while, you know, you just as a dad and dad you have to cheat you know, the older their sons get, you know, you have to cheat to win so that they always know who's boss. I mean, you know, so anyways, past that phase of life. My wife read the email before I did. I was outside. She comes running outside and she's holding up her phone. And she said, I, she said, read this. I have an idea. Now that phrase, I have an idea. (laughs) Henceforth in our marriage and life will be the greatest understatement ever spoken in our marriage. And so I read about these three kids that don't have a home. I don't know, they don't tell us any information. It's a very general email. And I just kind of smiled and went, what's your idea? She goes, that's what we're supposed to do. She said, don't you forward that email to anybody. And I went, whoa, what are you? I mean, this isn't like seeing a cow on Pinterest and building a farm. I mean, this is <laughs> different. Because I think we need to go pray. I said, okay, let's go. And so, you know, we live out on some, out in the country on some property, and she, there's a place in, in some woods over here that with a clearing. And, and she, she said, let's go over here where nobody can see us. It's just us, and we're going to get on our knees before God. We walk over there and I mean like we just walk, she's crying, we're walking over there. I'm wondering what is going on right now? We walk over there and we get to the clearing where we we, we were gonna go and, and she immediately just gets on her knees and starts praying and crying out to God and I'm just standing there like, like I just wanna see how serious she is because I know if we both get on our knees, it's over, right? Here we go, right? I mean, it's just, and she's like, she looks up at me and she goes, what are you doing up there? Get down here. I was like, I, I, Better reception. I mean, you know, I... I <laughs> reluctant. I'm going to be honest. I was reluctant. Because I knew what would happen if I got on my knees. She, she grabs my hand. As soon as she did, I got on my knees and we started to pray. And I knew exactly what would happen. I started to cry too. And, um, you know, there's, a, there's in history, there's a, a great statement from a guy named John Wesley. Wesley became... As an adult, became a Christian, and, and he, he did it uh, sitting in a room, listening to a theology book read of all things. Actually, the introduction to a theology book. He was listening to a book read that was written several hundred years earlier by a guy named Martin Luther, a commentary on the Book of Romans. And Luther, actually, I mean, excuse me, and Wesley that night actually committed his life to Christ. And here's how he described it. He said he felt in that moment that his heart was strangely warmed. I've always liked that phrase, strangely warmed. And so as we prayed together, the only thing I know to describe what I felt and what I believe Christina felt as she described it to me as well, is that our hearts were strangely warmed in that moment. This is what we were to do. So we go in and we pick up the phone and we call Stephanie and put her on speaker and the two of us are sitting in my office and we call her and, 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 and she answers. And my wife is crying and starts to talk and I interrupt and said, hey, uh, these are the people who were past that phase of life that wanted to, uh, you know, my wife gave me a look like, this is not the time for you to try to be funny because you're not funny anyways, and this is not the time to try. <laughs> and every married man knows what that look looks like. <laughs> Stephanie started to cry. She said, are you serious? Five weeks later, they were in our home. Now, if you have known anything about adoption, you know that's pretty much impossible. A lot of laws were broken <laughs> to get these babies out of a very unsafe situation. There was a people that came together and went. And if I told you the group that came together, because some of them were non-Christians. If I told you the group that came together, I mean, some of them were non-Christians. So, listen, a Democrat and a Republican came together. It was a miracle. It was a group of five people that galvanized around these children and said, we're gonna protect them until they get it at home. Judges held court in their bathrobe on their driveway on a Saturday morning. If you've ever had anything, you know, you gotta have what's called a home inspection, you know, those usually last anywhere from six to nine months. Somebody comes and does an inspection, interviews everybody in the house, goes through everything you belong, and then they come back six, six, eight months later and do it all over again, then they pass you or they don't pass you. Because of the situation, the guy came, I didn't know him, Stephanie did, She's called in a favor. She goes, he, the guy comes, he goes, I don't know who you are, but I know what I'm supposed to do today. These are my instructions. So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna do an inspection. Then I'm gonna drive to the end of the road, and I'm gonna FaceTime you. If that's your second inspection. And if anybody ever tells you, asks you, I was there for the second inspection, right? <laughs> Months later, you know. I mean, just, you go, boy, that sounds twisted, but I, people just did what they did to protect children. Five weeks later, they were in our home. And I would sit on, on my, young, my youngest child, her name's Ar, Ariana. And Ariana was five when she came to us. And, and I would, I've would i done this with all my kids, but I would sit on Ariana's bed and, and she would give me one of her stuffed animals and we'd have little conversations at the end of every night and then we'd pray together before she goes to bed. And I remember for at least the first six months, it may have been more towards a year, it lasted a long time. And I call her Ari Girl. That's, she's always been Ari Girl to me. And, and I, somebody tried to repeat that to her the other day. She was hey, Ari Girl, Ari Girl. And I didn't realize she felt this way about that name. She goes, Nobody calls me Ari girl, but my dad, you know, I mean that she's, so she and I are very, very close. And she, 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 she kept waking up in the night with the same dream, this five-year-old little tortured mind. And the dream was this, that there were some bad people that were going to come and take her away. And there was, there was nothing that we could do to stop them. Usually around the same time every night, somewhere between midnight and one in the morning. And so I would always run up there and I would I'd go in her room and I would sit on her bed and she'd sit across from me. And before I even picked her up, I wanted her to look me in the eyes and, and I would say, all right, girl. And I would just look at her and she's crying, she's shaking. I'm holding her little hand and I said, look at me, baby. I said, daddy loves you. Mommy loves you. You're safe and nobody can ever take you away. That's done. And then she'd crawl up in my lap, put her little head against my chest. And before I put my arms around her, I would say, Hey, does daddy love you? Yes. Are you safe right now? Yes. Can anybody ever take you away from daddy? No. And I put my arms around her, broad and close. I would say, are you safe? Yeah. Does daddy love you? can anybody take you away from daddy? No. And I would sing her till she'd fall asleep. And I would set her down in her bed and while she was asleep, I would whisper into her ear, you are loved. You are safe. Nobody can take you away. Fire, baptism, division. Why? So that Jesus can speak over our life every day. It is finished. You are loved. You are safe in the arms of God. Nobody can take you away from me. Do you know why we care so deeply about missions? This isn't even the text, but it's my third point. You go, well, you shouldn't preach something that's not in the text. No, it's not in this text. It's the whole book of Acts. And the third point is that the division that we're talking about establishes togetherness. The togetherness I'm talking about is the church. All All this fire and all of this baptism and all of this division is what gives birth to the church of Jesus Christ. Do you want to? What, what is all of this leading to? All of this is leading to uh, uh, like this, us in this room. That's what it's leading to. It's leading to all of like, we're nothing but a bunch of misfit toys in this room. Now, I know the younger people in this room don't know that reference because you haven't seen those good classic Christmas movies, but do you remember? We're, islands is misfit toys. We're, we're nothing but a bunch of broken people and somebody from outside the island had to come and give us meaning and purpose. There's There's nothing about you that makes you special other than the fact that you were created in the image of God and you are the crown of his creation. And that's pretty special. But there's nothing that you could do to redeem yourself. There's nothing you could do to give yourself freedom. There's nothing you could do to deliver yourself. You're just just broken and you're on the island. Great is thy faithfulness, great things we have. No, 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 no. not great things we have done. Great things he has done. He rescued And do you know why? So that he could give birth to this. Nothing but a bunch of messed up people gathering together with all their messed up lives under the banner of redemption. And this is the only plan God has. For the world to know. If you ever doubt the effectiveness of the church, think, Buck, on how God has redeemed you. And if God can redeem you, he can use a bunch of broken, redeemed people to go out into that world and to share the good news of Jesus. Why? So that others can hear this spoken over their lives. It is finished. You are loved. You are safe in the arms of God and nothing can take you away. You think people need that? Think there's a world that needs that? We are God's plan to share that. You didn't have another one. It is the church of Jesus Christ, which is God's agency by which he delivers his message. There is nothing, there is no force that is powerful enough to stop the wants of God. And so God's saying, I'm going in the wilderness to get one more. Want to come? Want to go with me? That's what we do. That's what the church is. I'm going to ask us right now, just simply quietly go ahead and sit up in our chairs and and you can close your eyes. I'm going to tell you what's happening right now as we land the plan on our service. I'm going to ask nobody to get up and walk around them if that's possible, unless you're one of our musicians or praise leaders that are making their way to the stage. It's very, it's this simple. It's this simple. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you this question. This is such a big theme. Here's the question. The question is this. Have you given yourselves over? Have I given myself completely to... The mission of God. If there's an area of my life where Jesus does not reign as King, if there's a part of my life where I haven't said, "Listen, use this part of my," if there's something that I am holding back in any, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, then I plead with you in the name of Jesus, let the kindness of God lead you to repentance. I can't tell you how many times I've had to get on my knees and go, God, there's an area in my life that you don't reign supreme, that you're not the King Jesus over because I've tried to take that back or hold on to that. No, no. And I want my whole life to be a living sacrifice. I want my life to be completely given over to what matters to you, oh God. And so I ask you, have you given yourself over to God's mission so that it's not mission week, but it's mission is your life. And if the answer is no in some way no that's what this Sunday's about that's what this moment is about it's about you letting the holy spirit of god we've studied the word of god now letting the holy spirit of god bring you to a place where you humble yourself hey just before i pray for us would you be are you open to the holy spirit of god moving in your life this morning would you give me a nod just all across the room Would you give me a nod from the front to the back of the room? Yes? Give me a nod. Yes, I'm open to the Holy Spirit of God moving in my life. Yes? Yes. All the way across the room. Yes, in the back and all the way. You've heard the Word of God. We've experienced Scripture imperfectly because it was me, I know, but we've experienced Scripture. And now be open to the Holy Spirit of God to lead you to a place where you may need to humble yourself and repent of something. But don't leave this room, oh dear God, don't leave this room without being wholly committed to God's mission. Here's what that might look like. That might look like you coming and kneeling at an altar. That might look like you praying with a pastor. But here's also what it might look like. That might look like a family going, a mom and a dad going, okay, everybody, here we go. We're gonna circle up in the aisle, our family and a family praying together, a couple praying together, friends praying together, we want to be completely, wholly committed to God's mission. I'm not a real big fan of giving too many instructions, but I'll say this. You've got an altar. You've got pastors. You've got friends. You've got family. We've got a space. We've got margin. We've got the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God what more do we need to respond? Nothing. Just to be willing. So I'm going to ask us across this auditorium very quietly, if we would, just all across this auditorium, very quietly stand to our feet. I want to give us space to respond Which means we're not going to just jump into singing right now, if that's okay. I'm going to say a very short prayer, and then we're not going to sing. The the, the, the musicians are going to play behind me a little bit. We do that for the same reason that they turn the lights down in a restaurant so you can focus on on you and your table. Same thing here, so that you can focus on your life and what's happening and how you need to respond. We're going to sing in a moment, but not right now. After that short prayer, as soon as I say amen, as soon as I say amen, I want you in your mind to go ahead and make the decision of how you're going to respond to this. What you've studied in scripture, how the Holy Spirit of God is leading you, and how you'll be willing to respond. And as soon as I say amen, I'm going to ask you to do so. So if you want to circle up in an aisle or a corner of this room, if you want to get on your knees at this altar, which many of you are welcome to do so, if you want to pray with a pastor, whatever it is, let's go ahead and get that in our head. What we're going to do And then let's respond. And by the way, if you're not responding, I'm not throwing shade on you. Maybe you don't need to respond, that's fine. But would you just stand there and pray? Would you pray for your brothers and sisters? Would you pray for your church that we would continue to be, and that we would grow more to be a church that is completely given over to God's mission? Lord Jesus, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move and convict and lead us to places we didn't think we were gonna go. And that we would be motivated right now by your love and your love alone, Jesus. As soon as I say amen, I'm going to ask you to come and kneel or come and pray with somebody or pray with a family member, a friend, or whatever it may be. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Quietly, I'm going to ask you to step out and to go ahead and make your way to wherever it is you need to be. Amen and amen. Come and respond. And to be honest, there's some of you dads not trying to put you on the spot, but there's some of you dads, you need to turn to your families and go, I need the family come with me, we're going to go step over here in the corner, we're going to go over here in the aisle, we're going to circle up, and some of you dads need to pray over your family that your family is going to be a family that is completely given over to the mission of God there's some husbands and some wives in this room who are at a stage of life where there aren't any more kids in the house. And you're looking at your futures going, what can we do for God? This is a great moment to circle up with just a spouse and to say, we could, we don't know exactly what it looks like, but we commit whatever life the Lord gives us left. We commit it to the mission of God. We commit not to waste our lives in one sense. Proud of some of you dads, so proud of you. Jesus said, my house should be a house of prayer. That's what we're doing right now. I'm gonna pray for us ladies and gentlemen. That does not mean you're done praying. You kneel, you pray, you circle up, you pray, you continue to respond even if we, as we sing. But I'm going to let this, this incredible team, Pastor Thomas and his team, to, they're going to sing over us. You don't have to sing with them. You can continue to pray. If you want to sing with them, you can. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would continue to respond in a way that is faithful to what we have heard in the scriptures and the leading of your Holy Spirit and that ours would be a life completely given over to your mission, Jesus in your name.